Open in your Bibles, not to Matthew chapter number 11, Matthew chapter number 11, and uh, man, what a blessing to be in the house of God, amen. Uh, it's an encouragement, always encourages my heart to get to come into the house of God on a Wednesday night and uh, see God's people, see their faithfulness, and uh, I appreciate you being here this evening. Matthew chapter number 11, and I'd like to begin reading at verse 25. This is a very familiar passage of scripture. Uh, some of it I believe you'll even be able to quote if you, uh, if, if you were challenged to do so. Uh, and I want us to just take a few moments tonight. I probably won't tell you anything you've never heard before, but if I can stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance and encourage you a little bit tonight, I believe the Lord be glorified. Matthew chapter number 11, verse number 25. Now our Lord has just got through upbraiding many of the cities wherein he had done his, his most mighty works. He had just got through uh, condemning them for having rejected him. And he had also sent out his disciples to go out and to preach. And so there is in this chapter a stark contrast between those that had rejected the truth of God and those that had received it. And so speaking of those that had received it, the Bible says, verse 25, at that time Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent. Now, what's he talking about? Well, the statements that he had just made previous to this, that the wise men and prudent men of the world uh, could not see and understand these things that he was saying. But he praised the Lord, he praised the Father, that he has revealed them unto babes. Verse 26, even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me of my Father. No man knoweth the Son but the Father, neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Let's pray together. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you for letting us be here in the house of God. I pray you'd help us now as we turn our attention onto your word. Lord, may it not just be an academic exercise. May it not merely be a, a religious formality. But may we in sincerity open our hearts to the truth of thy word. May we allow ourselves to be moved, to be convicted, to be stirred, to be changed by the ministration of the Holy Spirit as he wields your sword, the word of God, in our hearts and minds tonight. And, Lord, we pray that you do this in such a way that you and you alone would receive glory. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the faithfulness of your people. Lord, thank you most of all for your faithfulness day by day. Lord, we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, as we approach this passage of Scripture, no doubt your mind immediately was drawn to the last three verses. Our Lord's invitation to all those that are heavy uh, laden, all those that labor to come and to trade yokes with him. He says, you give me your yoke and I'll give you my yoke. And when you do, you're going to find rest under your souls. And with the Lord's help, I want to preach about that here in just a moment. But before we get there, I don't want to skip over these first three verses. I want to preach to you on this thought tonight. I will give you rest, the Lord said. He said, I will give you rest. And think always about the context of a passage of Scripture. You've heard me say this time and time again, that if you don't know the Bible in context, you don't know the Bible at all. 
you have to understand the context of what's transpiring in the Word of God. You can take any passage and twist it uh, until you make it say what you want it to say. But the Word of God was given to us not uh, on pieces of paper like fortune cookies, but in a book with context, amen, where we could read it and where we could get a, a whole bird's eye view of what's transpiring. And so when I read this passage of Scripture, I'm reminded of the individuals that Christ is speaking both to and about. I told you a moment ago, he has in this passage uh, both sent out his disciples that they might preach the word of God. He has spoken about the disciples of John or to the disciples of John about the testimony of John. And he has been uh, upbraiding these cities that have rejected him. And he then tells his followers that he thanks the Lord. He prays to the Father and says that he's thankful that the Lord has hid these things from the wise and prudent and has revealed them unto babes. Have you ever stopped and asked yourself, who is the Lord speaking to in this passage? When he speaks to those uh, that he is desiring to come unto him and to exchange burdens, he's not speaking to those that are lost. Now, very often we use this passage in that context, and I don't think there's anything wrong with making that application. I'll tell you this, sin is a heavy burden, amen? And I'm glad the Lord can lift that burden. But a person doesn't get born again by trading burdens with the Lord necessarily. A person gets born again by acknowledging their lost condition, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, receiving Him as Savior, believing the gospel, His death, burial, and resurrection according to the Scriptures, and asking Him for forgiveness or calling upon the name of the Lord. And so when he's talking about exchanging burdens, he's talking about these people that he had just spoken of, these babes, and when he uses that terminology, it's not derogatory. He's not calling them immature, but he's saying rather than those that are supposed to be educated, supposed to be enlightened, supposed to be the leaders of the nation, they reject these things. But under the common individual who is not initiated into so many of these academic uh, circles, they're the ones that God is dealing with. So in other words, he's speaking about those that know him or those that are following him. And man, that just reminds me tonight the kind of people that need rest. Well, let me say it this way. It reminds me that folks like you and I, we need rest from the Lord. Think with me for a moment about two things in these opening verses. Verse 25, the Lord says this, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things, these truths that the Lord had spoken, were hidden from the wise and prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes. Let me say number one tonight, the people he's speaking to, they had received the Scriptures. Now, they didn't have an entire Bible in front of them the way that you and I do. But they were no strangers to the truth of God. And in fact, the context of the passage is that these people had both heard, received, and believed the things that the Lord Jesus had said to them. Can I tell you, the most precious, valuable thing that's tangible that you have in your possession is your King James Bible. There's nothing more precious than the Word of God. And what a blessed thing it is that God loves us enough that he gave us a Bible. You know, this Bible, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. There's no admixture of error. There's no mistakes. There's nothing that needs to be corrected or brushed up or spruced up. It's the inspired, inerrant Word of God. And it is the preserved Word of God. It is exactly as God intends it to be. But can I tell you something tonight? Even folks that have got the right Bible and a whole Bible sometimes still get heavy laden. 
Now, it ought to be that we can go to the Word of God and, and gain strength from it for any burden that we face. And certainly that is true tonight. But if your Christian walk is like mine, hey, listen, there's times when I'm walking with God the way I ought to. There's times when I'm weighed down heavy under the burdens that I have pulled onto myself. And during those times, the, the differentiating factor is not whether the Bible's true or whether it's good, but rather it's whether I've been in the Bible or not. Tells me, man, that, hey, listen, they'd received the scripture, but they still needed rest. But then notice number two. Look what he says in verse 26 and 27. He says, even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. And then he says this, all things are delivered unto me of my father. And no man knoweth the son, but the father. Neither knoweth any man the father, save the son. And he to whomsoever the son will reveal him. And what's our Lord saying there? Well, he's saying this, that no one just instinctively or naturally has a relationship with God, but rather it's through a relationship with Jesus Christ that a person has a relationship with God. Now, why does he say that in this context? Because he is thanking the Father that God is using him in this capacity to administer this truth and to reach those that had an ear to hear and were willing to listen to the truth as it was delivered to him. In other words, he's saying about these people, they know you father because they know me let me say it this way man not only had they received the scripture but they had a relationship with the son they knew God and I'm understand I understand all of the uh, maybe not all but <laughs> I understand the reality of the dispensational distinctions between their day and our day I understand that uh, we now today in this dispensation of grace perpetually indwelt by the Holy Spirit we partake in the sonship of, uh, of of being a child of God we partook in the new birth regeneration being born again and I'm aware of all those distinctions but listen uh, you can't hyper dispensationalize me away from from recognizing that even in the Old Testament, people still had righteousness imputed unto them by faith and by grace, and they had a relationship with God. Now, it may have not been in the exact same dynamic as you and I do today, and I'm certainly not wanting to diminish Calvary or diminish the impacts of the grace of God as it is realized in this church age, but I am recognizing this, that these people, they knew God, they had a relationship with God through the Son. They knew who the Father was because the Son had revealed Him. They had believed on the Father and believed on the Son because the Son had revealed who the Father was. And it's a reminder, hey, listen, even folks that are saved sometimes, struggle i mean if you don't believe that you just wait a little while you'll believe it amen uh, even folks that are saved by the grace of god they still at times have heavy burdens upon their life sometimes in our lord's terminology they are heavy laden and they need rest now somebody's going to say well now preacher you don't understand uh you know i got born again and and that's it i don't even have to talk to god anymore i don't need him he's got my seat reserved it's at heaven's will call desk and one day i'll see him and there's no more of god's working in my life now i want to be 100% clear with what i'm about to say when you got saved you got 100% saved you didn't get 30% saved you didn't get you didn't get 66 and a third percent saved you got 100% saved but understand likewise that though you may be born again irrevocably, eternally by the grace of God, that does not mean that you will automatically thrive and be victorious in your walk with the Lord. In other words, though uh, we may be saved by the grace of God and need nothing more in the way of having our sins forgiven, nothing more in the way of being made a child of God, certainly it's true that for a great many of us in our Christian walk, there are things that are lacking and there is something missing. 
I think our Lord is touching on this reality here. It reminds me of what the Hebrews writer says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 9. Now, you remember what the Lord says here, come unto me, I'll give you rest. What does the Hebrews writer say? He says, there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that has entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works as God did from his. Let us therefore labor to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. And I'll tell you this, there's a lot of Christians walking around carrying burdens upon them, refusing to trust the Lord with those burdens, refusing to trade yokes with Him, and they are bowed low as a result of it. That, I think, is what our Lord is dealing with in this passage. And I want you to notice, there are three portions to what our Lord says, and they neatly divide into these three verses. We find in verse number 28 an invitation. He says, come unto me. We find in verse 29 some instructions given. He says, take my yoke upon you, learn of me. And then in verse number 30, we have the intention behind our Lord's promise in these verses. What could we learn as we approach this passage of Scripture? Notice with me, not verse 28. The Bible says this, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We've heard it so many times, it almost just melts into our hearing when we hear it. And as such, it is so easy to just skate over the words that our Lord says here, to dismiss them, to take them as just sort of a de facto proverb or or truism of life, without ever stopping to examine carefully what our Lord says. Notice with me this invitation. There's three things that jumped out to me. Notice number one tonight, the person of this invitation. He says, come unto who? He says, come unto me. Now, you say, well, preacher, of course he does. Jesus, he's our everything. He's our rock. He's our high tower. He's everything. Yeah, I understand that. But how often when we are weighed down with burdens, do we go everywhere but to him? I jotted down just a few little statements here. Does he say come unto friends? No, he doesn't. How often do we go to people that may have good intentions and may love us and, 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 and if they could, they'd lift the burdens. But the reality is this, the best friend that you've got outside of the Lord Jesus, the best earthly friend, let's say it that way, that you've got cannot lift your burdens. To ask them to soothe your soul, to ask them to apply the salve of grace in your life, to ask them to be the God of consolation and comfort you in every need is an unfair toll to place upon them. See, here's the truth of the matter. Uh, There are some things that only God can do for you. I've shared this with you before, and I, I won't belabor it. I, I want to hurry and, and uh, get the preaching done tonight. But, uh, you know, uh, several years ago, before we had our, our uh, son Lawrence, me and my wife, we went through a, a miscarriage. And, uh, you know, it was a hard thing. It, it was a difficult thing. It's, it's not like losing a child that you've held. I'm under no delusion that it is. But it is its own unique type of pain. And um, when we went through that, uh, my wife, she struggled with it. And, and it was difficult for her. She, she grew discouraged. She asked God why. She couldn't understand it. She was trying to process this whole thing. And if you've ever gone through miscarriages, it's a strange thing because the rest of the world marches on. But you know that you lost a child. And, you know, again, I'm not trying to diminish anyone in their own distinct circumstances, but it's an odd thing because for the rest of the world, it's as though nothing has changed for you. But for you, Everything has changed. Everything has changed. And so she grappled with that. And me being the good husband and having the typical male perspective, I said, I'm going to fix this. <laughs> I'm going to fix this. And so I got a list together of ways I was going to fix it, you know. 
And I said, well, the first thing I got to do, I just got to be sweet and kind to her. And I was sweet to her. I was kind to her. Honey, anything you need? Is there anything I can do for you? Honey, I, I, you know, I'm so sorry. Is there anything? And that didn't fix it. And then I thought, you know, well, maybe I'll try to be real spiritual towards her. I, I'm a preacher. I'll preach at her a little bit. You know, I took her to the Bible and showed her where we can get comfort from the Lord and showed her, I'm talking about in black and white and even in the red words of our Lord and Savior, why she could get peace in the Lord. But, you know, truth is, she knows that Bible better than I do. <laughs> and so that didn't really help. And then I thought, well, I'm going to get tough, you know. We do dumb things. I thought, tough love's what she needs. I mean, listen, I understand what, you know, you grieve and it's hard and I, and I grieve and it hurts me, but honey, I mean, sooner or later, you just, you gotta pick up, you gotta move on, you can't let this cripple you in life. Honey, you just gotta, you gotta get over it. Funny thing about it, she didn't get over it. And so finally I got to a place where I stepped back and I quit talking to her about that problem and started talking to the Lord about that problem and praying for her. And it didn't fix it right away, but the God of all comfort comforted her in a way that I never could. Gave her peace that passeth all understanding. I couldn't understand it, but it passed all understanding. And God taught me something, and I want you to listen. I'm not the voice of experience, but if you're willing to just patronize a preacher for a few moments, man, I want you to understand something. We want to be everything to him. I understand that, but you can't replace God for him. I understand we're the spiritual head of the home. I understand all of that. I can take you to Ephesians 4 and 5. I can counsel you up one side and down the other and talk about the structure of the home and the roles of the home and headship and all those. But just understand, there's going to be some hurts that you can't heal. There's going to be some things that you can't do. There's going to be, and you know why? Hey, isn't that a good thing? Boy, I don't want, I don't want her to look at me and expect me to be able to do what God can. But the hard reality is that means sometimes, hey, listen, lover though I may, Sometimes there's some things I can't fix. Do you go unto friends? Do you go unto a spouse? Who do you go unto? Does he say come unto experts? <laughs> experts. Boy, we found out what that word experts mean over the past few years, haven't we? Uh, that, that reminds me of something that B.R. Lakin said years ago. He's talking about his first honorary doctorate. Preachers, they get, they, they go, they get a Bible college and they start handing out doctorates, you know. And uh, all the friends become doctors overnight. And, uh, he had been, uh, Dr. B.R. Lakin had been awarded a doctorate and, uh, he was real proud. He framed it. He's putting it up on the wall. He looked at his wife and said, honey, look at that. I'm a doctor. You're married to a doctor. Did you ever think you'd be married to a doctor? And she looked at him. She said, honey, listen, uh, that doctorate that you've got, it's sort of like a pig's tail. It may look cute, but it don't really mean anything. <laughs> That word expert may look cute, but we've learned it don't mean much of anything. Come unto friends, come unto your spouse, come unto experts, come unto gurus. That's what we need. Amazon bestseller, self-help, going to straighten us out. No, he doesn't even say come unto the church. I believe in church. I mean, I believe in it so much I'm here tonight (laughs) on a prayer meeting night. Amen. I, listen, I've, I've given my life to the ministering in the local church. I believe in the church. Christ Jesus loved the church and gave himself for it. But he doesn't say come unto church and you'll have your burdens lifted. We think if a church is good enough, it can lift our burdens, but he doesn't say come unto church. He doesn't say come unto the pastor. Now I want to be clear with what I'm about to say. I want you to bear your heart to me and that doesn't bother me one bit, but I'm just telling you that what you need, I can't give you. It's going to have to be the Lord that does it. Who do we go to? He says, come unto Jesus. 
And the sad reality is, after we've gone to friends and gone to our loved ones and checked with the experts and read after the gurus and then finally gone to church and listened to the preaching, talked to the pastor and realized that none of those things are really what gives us rest, how much time we've wasted when we could have just went to Jesus the whole time. Understand this, the kind of rest that the Lord's talking about is the direct result of a personal, intimate relationship with Him. And there is no end around around that. You're going to have to have a relationship with Christ. You're going to have to cultivate that relationship. You're going to have to consecrate yourself to that relationship because only He can lift your burdens and only He can give you rest. I see the person of this invitation. Number two, I see the prerequisites. Who's He talking to? Come unto me, all sinners. No, it's not what he says. Come unto me, all those that are about to pull their hair out. No. Uh, come unto me, all those that are that are uh, about to lose their mind. No. Who is he talking to? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. It tells me two things. If we want this kind of rest, there have to be two things present in our life. Number one, we have to be laboring. You know, the truth of the matter is we want the Lord's supernatural grace and administration of his peace and his strength to very often carry about the mundanities of life that are of no consequence in the first place. In other words, if we're not laboring for the Lord, we can't expect the kind of rest that he's talking about. We have this funny idea about the Lord. He's our cheerleader. That's how we think of it. He's here to help me. He's my assistant here to help me be the best that I can be. But that's not the reality of it. He's not here for you. He came for you, and he died for you, and he saved you, and he's present there when you need him. But understand that you, in fact, are here for him. And as such, very often, we, we live backslidden and wonder why we ain't got no rest. We live caught up in the world, wonder why we don't have any rest. We live with all of our focus and attention on serving self and wonder why we don't have any rest. But he told us right in his word, you must be laboring for me if you want to have rest. I'll tell you something. You're not going to like to hear this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, the Lord's main focus is not helping you reach your personal goals. His main priority is getting glory unto himself. The funny thing about it, if instead of trying to make your business God's business, you'll make God's business your business, you'll find that God will be always ready and willing to help in the carrying out of his business. You have to be laboring. Notice number two, he's talking to those that are laden. In other words... This is not just given to boost our morale. It's not just given to uh, inflate our self-esteem or to stroke our ego. This supernatural rest that the Lord is speaking about is for the seasons of our life when in the service of God and in living for Him and in being consecrated to Him, our flesh buffets us, the circumstances of life weigh upon us. And the truth of the matter is, very often, what we're really desiring, what we're really driving at is for the Lord to fix these mundane issues in our life. Very often we get upset, we get twisted up, we get gnarled up. When God won't help us with our hobbies and ambitions, as opposed to what this rest is really for, it's for times, hey, listen, all they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You live for God, you'll get down heavy laden. You'll get down heavy laden. 
Now, I like what G. Campbell Morgan once said years ago about praying for small things in our life. And I say this to add some clarity and to qualify my statement here tonight. Somebody asked Dr. G. Campbell Morgan, famous Bible teacher, said, do you think that, uh, you know, we should pray about small things in life? Do you think God cares about the small things? His answer was succinct and brilliant. He said, what in your life could ever be big to God? In other words, there's nothing in your life that ever be big to God. So nothing in your life is small to God. So pray about all things, even the small things. But understand that your life and my life is not to be spent merely toiling away on our interests and hobbies, but rather doing something meaningful for the cause of Christ. And it's in that endeavor that we get heavy laden. And it's in those burdens that the Lord supernaturally lifts us. I see the person in this invitation, the prerequisites, but then I see the promise. He says, I will give you rest. Notice a couple things here. Consider, number one, what is absent from this promise. There's something that the Lord promised, but then there's some things that we wish he had promised that he did not promise. We sometimes get upset with him. Notice, number one, he does not say, I will give you reprieve. He doesn't say your problems will get easier necessarily. He says, rather, I will lift your burdens and I will give you rest. We get upset at the Lord when we pray about something and it doesn't magically get resolved. But the truth of the matter is, God never said he was going to take you out from every problem that you face. Hey, God could have removed Pharaoh, but instead he led Moses. He could have, he he, he could have, in any number of ways, he could have took the Joshua, the, the mountain away from Caleb, but instead he had him conquer it. He could have took the cup from the Lord Jesus, but instead he had him drink it. The truth is, sometimes your problems ain't going to go anywhere. Sometimes it's not a matter of him calming the storm, but rather seeing you through that storm. He doesn't say reprieve, not removal either. He doesn't say he's going to take those problems from you or take you from those problems. And then uh, notice this. Uh, he doesn't say, I'll give you retreat. In other words, victory. I, I, I'm not promising you that the rest that I give you is going to look like triumph. Sometimes it'll look like tenacity. It won't always look as though your enemies have been vanquished. Sometimes rather. It'll just be strength for the battle. I see what is absent from this promise, but then notice what's present. He says, I will give you rest. Now, how do we define rest? I don't want to get too much into this because I want to get on to my message. But remember how the Hebrews writer defined rest. He says, for he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works as God did from his. Have you ever noticed how hard you work relative to government workers? If you're here tonight and you're a government worker, I'm not mad at you. I envy you. We'll talk after service. You get me one of them jobs keeping shovels propped up. I'm not against that. I, 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 if, if I, well, I am against that. But if I could get away with it, I would too. So I'm not mad at you. But you ever notice that? You know why that is? They don't care whether the work gets done. It ain't their work. You ever notice how hard someone works who has their own business? I mean, it's it's days, it's nights, it's seven days a week, it's all the time. The phone never quits ringing, they never get any rest. About the time they get enough money to retire, they just kill over dead. <laughs> Why is that? Because it's their labor. It's amazing how much anxiety there is when it's our labor. It's amazing how much rest there is when it's somebody else's labor. 
See, the truth of the matter is a lot of times our frustration is rooted in our life from the fact that we are carrying out our plans, our desires, our schemes, our ambitions. And because we know it's not really the will and work of God, we have no reason to rest in his supernatural providence or strength. And so what do we do? We live in constant anxiety, constant nervousness about what we're facing. But, you know, funny thing about it, when we cease from our own works and say, now, Lord, my life's not about me, it's about you. You know what we'll find? We'll find rest. You'll say, well, preacher, what will happen if the bills don't get paid? God always pays his bills. Well, preacher, what will happen if people won't listen? Well, it's God that opens the heart. Well, preacher, what will happen if there's no fruit from it? Well, hey, God gives the increase. You'd be amazed how much peace comes from laboring in his fields. So I see there's an invitation here. But then notice verse 29, there are some instructions given. There's three things mentioned here. Notice the very first thing he says. What are we to do? Well, number one, take my yoke upon you. And learn of me. We see the responsibility in these instructions. In other words, this rest is not something that's going to supernaturally fall upon us. It's not something that happens to us. But rather it's something we partake in as a result of our obedience to God. Now in what ways do we need to be obedient? Well notice number one, we've already touched on it. I won't belabor it. But we must lay hold of his purpose. He has a yoke. And he's got a place for you under it. Take my yoke, my labor. The picture, of course, here is of an ox's yoke that is used in the field to to plow and to carry out the labor of the husbandman. And he says, I've got a yoke, I've got a place, I've got a work, I've got a labor for you. We have to take hold of his purpose, lay hold of his purpose, make our life about him, his cause, his glory, his work, his purpose. Make it about him. Don't make it about you. Make it about him, you'll find rest. Notice number two, we must learn of his person. He says, learn of me. Now, this is interesting language. We would probably, in modern nomenclature, say it this way, learn from me. The idea here is the Lord saying, I'm under a yoke, and you get under the yoke, and we'll be together under that yoke. You've heard this before, undoubtedly you have heard preachers describe this, how that it's a common practice to yoke up an inexperienced animal with one that is experienced. And often the bigger and more experienced animal will hold all of the weight of the yoke. And all he's really doing is teaching that younger and less experienced animal how to be obedient to the commands, how to walk in the row, how to do the right thing. And there's a picture here. The Lord is saying this. You get yoked up beside me and walk with me. And here's what what he's saying when he says learn of me watch me and what i do learn of me examine me so there's a responsibility here and then there's a resource he goes on to expand on that here's why they need to do it for i'm meek and lowly in heart again these are two phrases that often we just treat as synonymous we blow right past them but actually there's a distinction between both of these what does meekness mean well you know in the old testament moses is called the meekest man to ever live Meekness could be defined in this way. The world would define meekness as strength under control. But I believe a proper biblical definition would be that meekness is strength under spiritual control. In other words, it is allowing the energy of our life to be harnessed for his glory and for his purpose. It's allowing the spirit of God to direct us. It's having the liberty to not but doing it because it's right. It's having the liberty to do, but not because you know it's wrong. It's having the liberty to go your own way, but recognizing that the field only gets plowed if you stay in course and walk beside him. He's speaking of his disciplined strength. 
In other words, as we follow him and as we obey him and as we allow his life to be lived through us, we will find that in that obedience to God, in that allowing our energies to be harnessed by him, that there is much strength and much peace to be enjoyed. It's amazing how nerve wracking it is for it all to be on you. And most of us live our lives feeling like it all is, don't we? It's just all on me. And that all may be very little, relatively speaking. That all, you may feel like, is as big as the sun. But we very often feel like, well, it's all on me. Very often, if the all that we're describing is that which is paltry and meaningless and temporal and passing away, uh, then we may be right. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. If we'd make God's will and work our, our work, then we would find that he would always carry his portion of the load. He describes his discipline and strength. And then he says this, I'm lowly in heart. You know, one of the things that for an animal to be useful has to be a present in them is they have to be tamed. It's of no use to try to yoke a wild animal. They have to be submitted to the will and instructions of the master. Boy, what a picture we see in the Lord's life about this. Hey, listen, he, he said, I do always those things that please my father. They're in the Garden of, uh, of Gethsemane facing no less trial than Calvary itself. He said, if it be possible that this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will. As we share the oak with him, as we learn of him, as we examine his life, what we'll find is that he was always and forever obedient to the Father. And you know, funny thing about it. When you're obedient to the Father, here's what you can do. You can kick all of that anxiety right up to Him and say, you know, I'm not doing this because of me. I'm doing this because this is how God led me. And therefore, if things go wrong, it's going to be God that's going to have to fix it because I'm not the one that can. And we don't like that. We like to believe that the strength of God is there to help us to leap tall buildings in a single bound, to do feats of strength and wonder, to accomplish all of our hopes and dreams, and to be good looking with a head full of hair. The truth of the matter is, that's not why God strengthens us. Here's what Paul said in Colossians chapter 1, verse 11. He's praying for the church at Colossae that they would be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. I like that, don't you? That's what I want to be. Man, I want to be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. That sounds wonderful. Sounds incredible. For what purpose? Unto all patience and long suffering with joy, joyfulness. You know, you know why God gives you strength? He gives you strength for two reasons, so that you can stick in and so that you can smile. That's why he gives you strength. He gives you strength so that you might be faithful, and he gives you strength so that you might be joyful. As we walk with the Lord, we learn this from him. And notice the result. He says, you shall find rest under your souls. In other words, we find a source of strength, a source of peace, of mind, of heart, and of soul. Notice there's not only a source of strength, but notice the sort of strength that it is. He says, ye shall find rest unto your soul. In other words, this is spiritual strength. It's not always physical strength. I wish that it was, or at least I wish some of it was. Amen. <laughs> but very often, in fact, let's just say always, the strength that God delivers and administers is the strength to the soul to be able to bear up and to serve him. So we see in this passage the invitation and the instructions, but what's the intention behind it? What's he getting at? Why? Why would this matter? Why should we do this? Well, the Lord tells us in verse 30. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
That's interesting. I thought sometimes it was hard to serve God. It is. It is. You go through the Old Testament, man, you'll find times people had to do awful things in serving the Lord. Hard things. I, the, <laughs> I, for years I've talked about preaching a message on when serving God is hard and looking at, looking at Hosea having to marry a wife of whoredoms, looking at Isaiah having to walk around naked for three and a half years, looking at Ezekiel having to eat bread mingled with cow dung. Sometimes, man, serving God is ugly and messy and hard. So why does the Lord say my yoke is easy? It's interesting that word easy. Do you know what it means? It means manageable. Easy is a relative statement, isn't it? When you ain't got no burdens, even the lightest burden is difficult. But when you're laden down with burdens, if even just part of them were took off you, you'd say, boy, how light and easy this burden is. We wish, we wish that God would take all those burdens away. But here's what he does. He makes our burdens bearable. He gives us the strength day by day. He doesn't always take them all away. You know why? We'd quit walking with him. We'd unyoke from him, which I don't need you anymore. I'll see you in heaven one day. I have no use for you now. The Lord knows our frame that we're but dust. So just just like Mephibosheth of old, who God did so much for, but he didn't heal his feet, he left him. The very last statement about Mephibosheth, the, the, the uh, son of Jonathan, is that he was lame on his feet all the days of his life. You know why the Lord left Mephibosheth lame? Because if he hadn't, he would have got up and walked away from King David's table. In the same way, the Lord leaves burdens upon you and I, not because he begrudges us, not because he hates us, not because he detests us, not because he resents us, but because he wants us to stay yoked close to him he makes our burdens bearable but then he says this my burden is light that's an oxymoron burden is light there are all kinds of things that as we walk through life that we carry upon us i've got keys somewhere i've got a phone somewhere i've got a wallet i've got my watch i've got things that i carry with me one of these the reasons i like these overalls i can be loaded down right and i ain't got to worry about a belt just my shoulders carrying it you know and uh, we carry things, but we don't really think about it most of the time. The other day, I had to borrow my wife's keys, and she handed me this cluster of key rings. <laughs> I mean, the thing was unreal. It had its own gravitational pull. It was huge. <laughs> but me, I mean, I just carry just a few keys and everything, and I don't even think about it. When I throw them in my pocket, throw my wallet in my, in, in my pocket, I don't even think about it, right? I don't think of it as a burden because it's light. But the Lord says... That his burden is light. What does he mean by that? Does he mean that it will not be difficult at times? No, I don't think so. Does he mean that you'll never struggle under that burden? No, I don't think that's what he means. You know what the word light is here? It means agile, passing. That's what it means. One other time it's used in your Bible when Paul says our light affliction, which is but for a moment, but for a moment. Here's what the Lord's saying here. He's saying, I'll make sure that whatever burden I put on you, it will not always be easy, but it will always be manageable. And it won't prevent you from going where you need to go and doing what you need to do. (laughs) Isn't it good to know that the devil don't get to decide how much weight we carry, that the Lord does? And here's what he's doing. He, he, He did this preacher. Why would he do that? Well, that our burdens might be bearable, but finally tonight, that we might be faithful in our following. He's going to make sure he understands how weak we are. And he's going to make sure that if we're yoked up with him, that he will carry enough of that burden and weight that we can keep up with him. (laughs) 
I, I like what the Bible says. Uh, you know, there are times that, that the Lord puts more on us than we can bear. Uh, there are times I know people say, well, you know, that he'll not suffer any temptation above that which we were able, but with temptation make a way of escape that we might be able to uh, bear it. I, and I understand Paul's talking about temptation there is in the solicitation to do evil. God's never going to put you in a position where your only choice is to sin. But as we know from James chapter number one, the word temptation can mean not only the solicitation to do evil, but it can mean arduous things, afflictions, difficulties, troubles, and trials. It means testing, in other words. And you know, Paul says this in Second Corinthians chapter one, that they went through a season of their ministry when God put on them more than they could bear. He said we were pressed above measure out of strength. Then you know what he went on to say? He said, we found in ourselves the sentence of death that we might trust in God, might put our faith in God, which raiseth the dead. Here's what Paul said. When I was dragging the yoke, it liked to kill me. But when I instead got yoked up underneath him, I found that he would carry all the weight or at least enough so I could keep up with him. Rest, there remaineth a rest for the people of God. We can rest in him. Rest don't mean idleness, but it does mean peace of mind. It does mean strength to do his work and will. Do you have rest tonight? If you don't, won't you get rest from him? You ain't going to get it from me. You ain't going to get it just by coming to church and being here. You're going to have to come unto him tonight. But if you'll come unto him, he'll give you rest. Let's bow together as a musician comes to play. The altar's open. If God's spoken to your heart about anything in your life, it doesn't have to be about what we preached on. It could be something entirely unrelated, just a passing comment or maybe not even something I said, but just something the Holy Ghost said to you. Why don't you slip out of your seat? Why don't you meet the Lord in this altar tonight? Take that thing to God. If it's sin, confess it, ask forgiveness. If it's struggles and burdens, ask for his strength, ask for his help. Or maybe you've just allowed the burdens of life and the mundanity, the everyday, to become your focus. Why don't you come get your eyes on him? and find rest in him tonight. Father, bless this invitation. May it magnify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in his name.